0: Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Lizzie.
1: So I'm very excited mm-hmm. to introduce Rina Rosen who started showing up more and more here at Mishkan about 11 months ago, when we started doing more and more online. And Rena brings with her a positivity and a light that is just blindingly beautiful and affirming. And she sent me thoughts a couple weeks ago, unsolicited, unprompted, just musing on this time of year and her own experience, and I asked her, if she might share those thoughts with you, I didn't want to hoard all that goodness. I'm like, I, this is a drash; you should share this. So, um, so she graciously said yes. And as you may know, this month is Jewish Disability Awareness and Inclusion Month. And Rena Rosen is the inclusion coordinator at the JCCs of Chicago and an early childhood educator at the Bernard Winger JCC, and is also a Mishkanite. Thank you, Rena, for being here.
2: Thank you so much, Rabbi Lizzie. I am. So grateful to be with you tonight and share some thoughts with you. I'm a relatively new Mishkan builder, pandemic month strong. Although for years, my friends have been talking to me about the incredible community here and for the crazy silver linings that this awful pandemic has brought, it has brought me to you and I could not be more grateful for that. I am the inclusion coordinator and a preschool teacher and I can go on with my bio, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. And you could look me up for all that. I'd rather talk about what brings me here tonight into this space. I have always loved Purim. The months of deciding what I would dress up as, planning out Mishlawach, Manot baskets, and the incredible joy that would fill the air all month long. Think about it. On am Purim, you can be whatever and whomever you want. Nobody gives a second look. In fact, on the contrary, you are met with a great appreciation for uniqueness. Purim coincides this year with Jewish Disability Awareness, Acceptance and Inclusion Month. That is a mouthful. And we are in the middle of a pandemic, hopefully the end. And one major theme of Purim, well, many Jewish holidays, if you think about it, is the idea of something being hidden, Nistar, Vashti hid in her room and refused to attend the party. And whether it was because she had leprosy or a tail, or because she stood up as a feminist and declared that she wouldn't parade around the drunken guests wearing only her crown. And Esther hid behind a mask so that Haman and Ashbosh Barosh wouldn't know that she was Jewish. The past year of 2020, we have had a theme of Nistar, sheltering in place, keeping our our, in our pads, wearing a mask. So what happens when the masks eventually come off and we emerge from this hibernate state? If you'll indulge me, I'd like to share a story with you. I was born with several craniofacial anomalies. Surgeons and physicians said they were unrelated to one another. And because in the late 80s and early 90s, there were no such thing as social media, my parents didn't really do so much digging. The task was fix what could be fixed and address the needs that piggybacked. The only opportunity my parents ever had to really know anyone who looked like me or had experienced the same things that they had would have been sitting next to them in a doctor's office. And that's not really the place to strike conversation. There was little reference on how to do this whole difference thing. I had about a dozen or so surgeries from a month old until my 20s. I never once identified as anything other than Rena. That's how I was brought up. I was born with differences. That's all. The luxury of going to school with the same students from first grade all the way to eighth grade was that everyone treated me like my family did, like anyone, like just like I was anyone else. It was when I was out in public that it was quite apparent that I wasn't just like everyone else. There are two moments that stick in my mind and have stuck with me for as long as I can remember. When I was maybe 10, my family and I were sitting in synagogue during the high holidays, and two little girls ran up giggling in the row in front of ours. They stood right in front of me, and uh, they stood right in front of me, laughing, whispering, pointing, when one of them said, what's wrong with your nose? I said nothing, and I smiled. You know those cartoons when the angry mother has smoke coming out of her ears? You don't want to mess with a mama bear and her child. My mom snapped back and said, where are your parents? Didn't they ever teach you to not stare at other people? That's rude. The girls skipped away laughing and to them that moment had passed. But for me and my mom, we would ruminate over those two and a half minutes for long after. It was at that moment when I learned how to water down those moments so my parents wouldn't erupt. Don't make a scene, I'd say. How I wish that those, that moment was the only one, that, but they followed into my adulthood. I was once standing in a line at a grocery store, again with my mom and in front of us was a little kid with her mom in the checkout lane. The little kid had her eyes peeled on me, laser focused. The mom looked down and acknowledged that her child was staring, but did nothing. I smiled and I waved and I waited for this interaction to pass. Now I know that when a child stares, it's a yearning to understand some sort of challenge to their balance. I know the difference between a look and a stare, and the difference is important. Staring is quite different. Staring is quite different than a look of acknowledgement or recognition. I know that when someone stares, it's a yearning to understand something that challenges their balance and that it's human nature. It's what we do with those few, mom- few moments that make that impact. If you find yourself staring at somebody, ah, what do you do? Remember that quote from the show, Friends? Do they know that we know that they know that I know that they know? If you If your eyes have met, even if you don't say anything, everybody knows. I do it too, it's one way to gain information about the surroundings that we're in. But the things that you do in those moments can either make it a great situation or an icky situation. A lot has happened this year that has woken us up to be a little bit more like Vashti and push back on gender normative ideas in order to be most inclusive and to have courage to stand up to authority, no means no. We We have been awoken to be like Esther and be proud of who we are. Now it's time to take the whole idea of Vinahafoku that has been this entire year and turn what was upside down upside down again. We're not we are not whole without each and every person in the story, without every disability, every difference, and every voice. I spent the greater part of my life wishing Purim was every day so I could put on that mask. To be honest, today all I want to do is see the beautiful, unique faces because. This rock we live on wouldn't be the same without every single person. Shabbat Shalom.
1: Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much for your Torah arena. It was so beautiful and so important. And I know everybody here just thought about Purim in a different way and maybe themselves too. So there's this scene at the end of *Inglorious Bastards, which, if you don't know, is a Quentin Tarantino movie from 2009. It's World War Two fantasy fiction, and I looked it up in the Torah's statute of limitations on not spoiling movie endings is actually 10 years, and so I'm within the laws of Halakha to be able to share the ending with you now. That said, if you don't want to hear it, close your ears for the next 30 seconds or so. Okay, so the premise of the movie, before I tell you the end, is that there's a secret American military hit squad during World War II, which is made up entirely of Jews, and their mission is to kill Nazis in merciless, gruesome ways, dishing back to them what the Nazis did to their families. And in this scene at the end, Hitler, Goebbels, and all of the high-ranking Nazi officials are attending a Nazi movie premiere in a movie theater that they don't realize is owned by a Jewish woman, a secretly Jewish woman who is the sole survivor of a brutal massacre of her whole family. And knowing that she would have all of the Nazis in her theater that night, She sets fire to the movie theater and locks the doors. And as the theater burns, her face appears on the screen, and she cackles with poetic justice as all of the Nazi architects of evil die a fiery death. And this is how World War II comes to an end. It's very satisfying to watch. a lot of people thought it was quentin tarantino's best movie jewish tradition takes very seriously the desire for revenge like the and and quite seriously like it takes the tradition takes seriously the pain the anger the offense the fear the moral indignation the deep harm the deep sense of harm maybe recent maybe generations old that provokes within us this desire for revenge, and if we 're being really honest, even violent revenge like to see the person or people who cause that pain receive exactly the same treatment that they dished out there's um, there's a midrash that I just I just came to know recently that describes after after crossing the Red Sea so the Israelites after hundreds of years of brutality and degradation. After crossing the Red Sea, they look back and they see Pharaoh's army dead on the shore. And the Midrash says the Israelites each took their dog and went down and put a foot on the neck of an Egyptian and said, see that hand, eat that hand that used me as a slave, eat this bowel that had no mercy on me. It's very different. That's very different from the Midrash where, you know, the Israelites, the angels want to cheer and God says, no, no, don't cheer. My children are drowning about the Egyptians. This is kind of about the Israelites, the Jews, feeling delight and poetic justice and and being vindicated in that, that like, the rabbis really understood was a very satisfying feeling and satisfying for the reader too. So Jewish tradition is intimately familiar with this feeling because Jews have been the victims of persecution for millennia, more or less so depending on where in the world and in history, our tradition knows this thirst that we as victims and also as witnesses may feel to see perpetrators of evil get their just desserts. And so we have a holiday on the calendar dedicated to indulging that fantasy. And our ancestors fancied themselves on this holiday, like Esther, Mordechai, the Jews of Shushan, the inglorious bastards, like the ones who meted out vigilante justice to pay back those anti-Semites for their murderous designs. And we read that story, the Megillah, the Book of Esther, on Purim every year. Purim begins next Thursday night, as we have discussed. And if you haven't gotten your tickets yet or registered, I'm sorry I didn't mention it earlier during announcements. I'm announcing it now. Definitely go get them. You want to come. For a people who have been historically persecuted living all the while within a scrupulous moral system that preaches restorative justice, right, doing tshuva, so recognizing wrong mistakes, apologizing, making amends, offenders being given the opportunity to correct their mistakes, make restitution, learn, victims being given the opportunity to let go of grudges when justice has been done. All of this hard emotional work that is Judaism's normative approach to crime and punishment. So within this rigorous system in which vigilante justice is not encouraged or permitted. So telling the Purim story one night a year must have been so cathartic for our people. Like so cathartic, right? Haman hanging on the very gallows he built to hang the Jews upon. So just, you know, think through the Crusades, the expulsions through You know from almost every european country bloody pogroms the holocaust jews told this story and got to hear at the end how queen esther the hidden jew and mordechai who started as nobodies with no power and no importance rise to power and direct their people not only to defend themselves but to take an extra day to keep slaughtering anybody who might have been part of Haman's plan to annihilate the Jews. Ultimately, killing like 80,000 people, the text says, in two days. That's not Midrash. That's shot right there on the page. So this is literally the Quentin Tarantino book of the good book. This is, this is fan fiction, of the Bible and it is recognized as such by scholars, meaning it's recognized as religious entertainment. No one thinks this really happened. This isn't, you know, we don't try to square this with, you know, but did the Red Sea really part? Well, could it have been the weather? Could it have been a strong wind? Nobody's trying to pretend that this actually happened. We recognize that this is farce, ancient fantasy. You know, so like listen to the way the text reads. Throughout the provinces, of King Ahasuerus, the Jews mustered in their cities to attack those who sought their harm. No one could withstand them, for fear of them had fallen upon all the peoples. Indeed, all the officials of the provinces showed deference to the Jews because fear of Mordechai had fallen upon them." End quote. That's from chapter nine of the Megillah. Imagine how ridiculously funny And satisfying, that must have felt to our ancestors, who were poor, who had been dispossessed of their land and their temple, and who lived sort of wandering everywhere, turning three times a day toward home and praying they could go back. Imagine how satisfying it would be to read that story. And so, like the Jews in the story, celebrating their miraculous survival with feasting and drinking, so too Jews over the ages celebrate Purim with feasting and drinking and costumes and spiel. And this celebration, it's like it's simultaneously acknowledging that we survived by the skin of our teeth, you know, with some clever strategy from our great heroine Queen Esther. But also, if we're being honest, we're celebrating the fantasy of having power so you can understand the appeal of this holiday given our people's people's collective experience of exile and powerlessness over the ages the only problem is that today we aren't powerless anymore we still read the same story but it's a completely different story now that we have power So when I read the story of the fear of the Jews falling upon the people of King Achashverosh's kingdom, I squirm in my seat. I don't know about you when you were listening to that, but I get uncomfortable because I know full well that the Jewish people now has a sovereign state with a Jewish military in which every 18-year-old is handed a gun and trained to fight and Jews do scare people, the fear of people, like Jews do inspire fear. We hold positions of power and influence in governments. We vote, even that is stuff that the rabbis of the Talmud could not have fathomed. It's extraordinary in the scheme of history and it is also sobering because Jews are now in a position to do a lot of damage in the name of avenging our victimhood. And Jews have, and Jews do. The story of Purim is no longer this whimsical, cathartic fantasy, but a warning. This is what we're capable of when given power. And there is no character called God in this particular story to split the sea and drown the oppressor for us. Right. As you may know, as you may have heard me talk about, like God is not in this story. So the story is about how people wield powerlessness and power. That's kind of fundamentally what the story is about. And so if you're squirming in your seat right now or are during chapters 8 through 10 of the Megillah on Thursday night, it's probably a good thing like once we could laugh at the story because it was so far from reality you know it was funny and now we cringe because it hits a little too close to home so as i was writing this and i can you know, like like get to this part and i'm like okay now we have to end this and i'm like oh man is this just so depressing did i just take this holiday you're like you know I liked this holiday until just now. Now you made this really fun holiday really intense, and I'm not sure I like it anymore. So allow me to try to bring the threads of this holiday now all together, because we've only spoken about one mitzvah. We've spoken about a really important part of Purim, which is the mitzvah to hear the story, to hear the Megillah. And it's really important for all of the reasons we just discussed. But there's other stuff too. So the Megillah is where we learn that life is too short and too unpredictable not to embrace and spread joy wherever we can find it. And so the other mitzvot of Purim also come from the Megillah and look for it when we read it. Those other mitzvot are so one, Megillah. Two, eat drink, be merry, have fun, wear costumes, make fun of ourselves, laugh together, poke fun at all of the stuff that's usually too serious to laugh about, like remind ourselves that on some cosmic level everything is a little bit funny and we embrace the entertainment thing that has been a part of this tradition for as long as this tradition has existed. Mitzvah number three, Don't just eat, drink, and be merry for yourself. Share food with other people. Make gifts and care packages for each other. Drop them off at each other's homes. Walk down the street with a little bag full of bags to hand to strangers and give food away. And if you're really on top of it, now that I'm telling you this now, so you have a whole week to to prepare, put a little note in the bag that says, hi there, it's Purim. And today, Jews give away food all over the world, (laughs) or something to to make it feel personal and to help you and others understand today is a day, Purim is a day for sharing our resources and sharing our abundance and helping nourish people. And then finally, mitzvah number four is give charity. But not just to the organizations, you know, that are big and do, you know, have lots of overhead and and you know are gonna take that money and you know pay all the staff and, and that's really important. Give charity directly to people. If somebody puts out a hand, says Maimonides, you put money in it. You don't ask yourself, oh, what are they going to do with it? Oh, shut up. Just give it away. That's the, The tradition is today we aren't discerning. Today we give away because life is too short. Because life is too short. And you never know what could happen. And that could have been you. V'naha fochu Rina so beautifully talked about it before. V'naha fochu this idea that everything is subject to change and what's on the bottom, who's on the bottom, could very soon be on the top. And the one on the top very soon could be on the bottom. And we have been in both places. And from where we sit now, we actually have the ability to leverage resources and time and money to do a lot of good in the world. And that, that is actually the ultimate revenge. That is the secret of our survival over all these years. So between now and next week, think of where you might want to send charity, right? Food pantries, mutual aid organizations, cradles to crayons. You'll you'll see in our Facebook, people have posted at different points, even Venmo accounts, of people looking for hotel rooms to stay out of the cold. Just give. That is what the spirit of the holiday is asking us to do. The story, the Megillah, is entertainment. The actions, the the rest of the mitzvot of Purim are about how we live in the world, right? They're about generosity and having a playful spirit and a deep sense of social responsibility. And they show us that our survival over all this time actually is directly related to our ability to laugh at ourselves to take care of each other, to take care of people who aren't us. And that that is the depth of this zany, crazy holiday that I look forward to sharing with you and that we take some of the joy and the levity and the love that I know is so palpable in this community and share it not only with each other, but with a lot of people in the world who really, really need it and who are vulnerable, and who are powerless, and who are where we have been. That is the secret of our survival. So Chag Purim Sameach. And um, by the way, the Mensch kids are actually gonna help you do that, you know, donating to people, giving direct aid thing. So that's another reason to come and to be able to be part of a whole Mishkan-wide effort to really, really live into these mitzvot and be the kind of Jews that we want the world to see us as and that we want to be. So Shabbat Shalom.
0: You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, Tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishconchicago.org slash events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at mishconchicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always... We want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, rabbis Lizzie Heidemann and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, thanks for tuning in.